Okay, so um, Daniel 3, verses 13 to 18. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of God I have set up? Now when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you don't worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of God you have set up. Well, good morning. Uh, This morning is the last of our four-week series, Hold Nothing Back. And and so this morning we're going to wrap that up and, and, and finish that up. But as we end every series, I don't want us to get into the headspace of thinking, okay, I can start holding things back now uh, from God as we move into the next series. And so I encourage you to, to, to sit with this idea of holding nothing back from God. And actually, really, it should be our life journey of, of, of coming before God and, and asking Him to refine us and shape us and to consider what is it that I hold back from God. And so we've co- talked about no cost been too high. We've talked about no turning back. We've talked about no matter where he leads us, following it. And this week we're, we're going to talk about no matter what. No matter what. Um, and so this passage that I had Russell read, it wasn't just to, to pick a hard tongue twister of a passage for Russell. Um, this really gives us some direction around this idea of following God, being faithful to him, being all in, holding nothing back, no matter what. Um, I said to Russell uh, yesterday, I was texting him just to make sure he had the passage and that, and I said, the trick is just say the words confidently and everyone will think, wow, that's how you pronounce it. Um, and, and so, uh, well done, Russell, and um, you did a good job. But so this reading, it comes from the book of Daniel, obviously, as, as uh, Russell told us, but to give some context to where we are in the story, uh, we're not in the promised land anymore. This story takes place... You know, after Israel have been delivered from Egypt and they've journeyed through the wilderness, thought that the promised land was too hard to conquer, journeyed back through the wilderness for another 40 years, had another crack at the promised land. They're in the promised land uh, for hundreds of years and then because of their unfaithfulness to God, they're exiled to the pagan empire of Babylon. And, And so this story takes place in Babylon. And so the Jews are no longer living in a space where they are the prevailing culture and religion, where the worship of Yahweh is God, where the temple is the center of their religion. The temple has been obliterated. Jerusalem has been obliterated. They're in a foreign land with foreign gods and foreign culture. And so Daniel, uh, after chapter 7, it's more of a prophetic book, but these first seven chapters specifically deal with kind of a a historical account of Daniel and and these other guys, the the three guys that Russell mentioned, um, Shad, Mesh and Abed, um, trying to live faithfully as followers of Yahweh, as, as Jewish people in a foreign land. 
It, it explores this idea of faithful living outside of the promised land. And so the specific context of this story with these three men is that they've been raised up to positions of, of governorship. They've been raised up, despite not being Babylonians, they've been raised up to positions of leadership in Babylon. But the king, King Nebuchadnezzar, has set up this 27-meter, 30-meter-ish, 90-foot golden statue. And the decree has gone out that, that when you hear all of these instruments play, you're to respond in bowing down to worship to this statue. In Daniel 3, chapter 5 and 6, so if we, if we read that for you this morning, just to give, go back to context, it says this about it. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will be immediately thrown into the blazing furnace. And, and so there's this temptation put out there for the Jewish people seeking to live faithfully to their God in a foreign land to compromise their beliefs, to compromise their religious practice and bow down and worship a foreign God. There's a temptation to, to compromise their social norms as Jewish people. There's a temptation to compromise their culture, not just the religious thing. This is a giant golden statue that puts the temptation out there to compromise to choose to not be faithful. And I'm sure that many of the Jewish people did. I'm sure that many of them bowed down to it thinking, well, it's, it's just, you know, I'm not really worshipping it. I'm just, you know, I'll just bow down. Yet we're all good. I want to avoid the blazing furnace. But not these three men. And so the connection with us, with our story, though... Our, our world might be very different to ancient Babylon. The, the connection with us is that we aren't in the promised land anymore. In fact, we never were in the promised land. We've never, you know, some of you may have visited Israel. I'm not talking about that. But we've never lived, though some of us may think we might have these ideas of Australia as a Christian nation and, and things like that, and there's much heritage uh, from the Christian faith that has shaped our nation, but it's never been the promised land. It's never been a holy nation unto God in that sense. And, and so we're not in the promised land anymore. We live in a society and a culture and a nation where the prevailing social, cultural and religious norms that, that historically have had some connection to our faith is not faithful worship of God. We're not in the promised land anymore. And increasingly, uh, 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 we're experiencing this idea that, that it seems to be shifting away from that, that, that though it's never been the promised land, that, that the sense of that that we're having as followers of Jesus, that that's becoming more and more palpable, more and more felt as we wrestle with questions of, 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 of laws that impinge on our belief system or our belief system impinging upon laws and back and forth and religious freedoms that... that Daniel applies to us, this story applies to us because we're not in the promised land either. We're on this journey of working out what does it mean to be faithful to God, to be faithful followers of Jesus when we're not in the promised land. 
Beyond that, what does it mean to hold nothing back from God? What does it mean to be all in, uncompromising followers of Jesus when we're not in the promised land? And there's actually a bigger picture to that. It's not just our, our, our nation, our, our politics. There's a, there's a bigger picture to the, this idea as a promised land on earth has come to an end. Romans talks about all of creation, our bodies as well, groaning, waiting for redemption, waiting for Jesus to return. In fact, the, the true promised land is when Jesus comes and wipes away every tear, when, when the new heavens and the new earth are ushered in, that is the promised land that we wait for. And so how do we live outside of the promised land, waiting for that day? when all things, all things will be shaped according to God's will and purpose and plan. What does it look like to be faithful? What does it look like to be all in outside of the promised land? And that's the question I want you to have on your minds as we wrestle with this today. And so Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego or Abednego or... Um, however we want to pronounce that, as long as you pronounce it confidently, as I say, people will think you've got it right. They're threatened with this threat of a fiery furnace. They have high positions in government. They've not missed this decree. They've made a choice that being faithful followers of God means not bowing down to anything else. And, and so the king knew these men. The king had appointed these men. And so when some, it says some astrologers came, that's some, some Babylonian kind of religious, kind of like magi when we think of the, 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 the Christmas story, these quasi-religious, quasi-scientific, um, quasi-wise men kind of people who were obviously jealous of the position that Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego had had in government came and pointed out to the king hey, these three guys aren't bowing down to this giant statue that you've commanded them to worship. And so it says, furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, is it true? Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods and worship the image of gold I have set up? Can it possibly be true? Kind of mirrors some of the questions we might have as, as Christians, as followers of Jesus in our culture. Do you, do, you, do you really believe that? Is it true that you believe that Jesus is the only name under heaven by which a person can be saved? Is it true that you kind of refuse to worship other gods i'm sure the king was like well you can have you can have your jewish stuff you can you can do the jewish thing as long as you bow down before my big gold statue i'm not asking you to not be jewish i'm just asking you to bow down before my big gold statue i'm not asking you to not be christian I'm just asking you to kind of do all these other stuff as well because everyone does it. The temptation to compromise. And here it's gone beyond temptation, of course. It's, it's gone to actual threat. In verse 15, the king goes on and says, Now, 
Notice the initial command had said, decree had said, you'll immediately be thrown into the fiery furnace. The king's giving Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego another chance. It says, now when you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipe and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. The king's saying, we'll, we'll kind of forget that you didn't do it last time. Because you guys are kind of important. You know, your, your, your officials in my government will forget about it. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? And so this temptation to compromise and fly below the radar, this temptation to kind of just go, oh, I'll bow down, I don't mean it, I crossed my fingers while I worshipped the gold image. <laughs> this temptation isn't just a temptation, it's, it's coercion. It's pressure. It's fear of reprisal. Now, we were blessed as we prayed this morning uh, before our, our, our gathering this morning, those of us that gathered in prayer at 9.45, by the way, whether you're serving in the morning or not, you're, you're welcome to join us beforehand to, to pray for our time together. But as we gathered, someone uh, prayed this morning, and it's often one of the prayers, thank you, God, that we have freedom to gather and worship in Australia. And so we do have this freedom to gather and worship, But we also, in our culture, increasingly, as, as the culture shifts perhaps away from a Christian perspective, increasingly we do have this not just temptation to compromise, but increasing kind of at least cultural pressure, at least cultural coercion. Sure, we're not at the point yet where we're kind of like, oh, if I don't do what everyone else is doing, if I don't compromise my beliefs, I'm going to get thrown into the fiery furnace. But there's this subtle, insidious rise of that pressure. Just cross your fingers and bow down. Just this once. And we know that in, in certain parts of our world, that, that whether they use fiery furnaces or swords or guns or not, that, that this is a very real, tangible threat for followers of Jesus. Temptation becomes fear and coercion. And so how do Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego respond? As Russell has already read for us, they replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. We do not need to defend ourselves. There's so much to take away just in that, and I'm getting off my notes here this morning, but, but this sense of I don't need to defend myself. I'm aware of my kind of mousetrap reactions to almost any accusation is to defend myself. But Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego are confident in their God. We don't need to defend ourselves in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. 
And so the thought of bowing down, the consideration of compromising their beliefs, of not being all in, of, of just holding this one thing back from God doesn't even enter their mind. They don't need to defend themselves because God is able and they declare God will deliver us from your hand. Their confidence in God's ability to deliver them and their confidence that it would happen is astounding. And as we go on in the story, that is exactly what happened. Their refusal to bow down meant Nebuchadnezzar followed through. He asked them to stoke up the furnace a little bit extra hot because he's super cranky. These people he'd raised up into leadership turned out to be kind of religious crazies in their eyes. And so he wanted it stoked up so hot, in fact, that those who threw Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego into the fire lost their own lives. But Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego were, were delivered from it. As the king looked into uh, the, the furnace, he saw not three men but four. That the Lord was in there with them and, and so he called them out and, and we're told, encourage you to read through the, the rest of Daniel 3 or the rest of Daniel, just have a, have a field day reading all of Daniel but encourage you to read the rest of this story for yourself, but we're told that they came out of the furnace not even smelling of smoke. That they were so completely delivered from the furnace. And so when we find ourselves in this place of, uh, of considering what does it look like for me to be a faithful follower of Jesus in a world that, that isn't shaped around that cultural uh, perspective, that, that belief perspective? What does it look like for me to be all in for Jesus when, when this world is groaning and, and even my own body is just not always living up to the, to, to the reality of Jesus' redemption? We can remember these three men and think, God will deliver me. I don't need to defend myself against accusation. I don't need to, to prove anything about myself, I don't need to uh, come up with the theological arguments against the King Nebuchadnezzar's of this world. I simply need to trust that God can and will deliver me. Trust in God. Let Him be your defender. Let Him be your deliverer. Uh, I spoke a few uh, weeks ago uh, during our uh, Sermon on the Mount series about exponentially increasing our expectations of God. See, a lot of our fear in the, in the world shifting away from what we think is the, the Christian perspective, a lot of our fear in that comes from just having low expectations of God. What's going to happen to me? What's going to become of us? Will I get arrested if I refuse to do certain kinds of weddings one day? A lot of that just comes from fear of having a low expectation of God, that He's able to deliver us from and through things. And so when we're threatened with the fiery furnace, I want to encourage us to have confidence in God. But, but there's one verse beyond that, this, and this is where I really want to center our thoughts today. It's easy to, it, it, as, especially if you're reading through to the end of the story, it's really easy to miss verse 18. Because the highlight of the story is obviously Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego uh, been present with the Lord in the fiery furnace and then been delivered without even smelling a smoke. That's obviously the highlight of the story. And so it's easy to miss this verse 
in the midst of that excitement. In, in verse 18, following on from, from their bold and confident statement that the Lord can and the Lord will uh, deliver them from the furnace and from Nebuchadnezzar's hand, they say this, but even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. But even if he does not, I have a confession to make. Uh, I've been, this is not the confession this is leading to, I've been a Christian for most of my life at about the age of six. Uh, I gave my life to Jesus and the rest of my life has been a journey of discovering what I've got myself into uh, with that decision. I've heard and read this story countless times. It wasn't until January this year that I actually noticed this. But even if he does not, we will not bow down. Even if God doesn't rescue them, they won't bow down. They trust in God to deliver them, but even if He doesn't, they'll hold nothing back. They're all in. They're all in for God isn't based in what God does for them. It's based in who God is. This isn't the prayer of, God, if you just deliver us from the furnace, if you set us free from us, if you let us go, if you rescue me in this way, then I will not bow down to any other gods. I'll be faithful to you. This isn't the prayer of, Lord, if you heal me from that, I promise I'll be at church every Sunday and I'll increase my tithe. This isn't the prayer of, Lord, if you, if you, you know, bless my finances then I will do X. This isn't the prayer of a, a conditional coming towards God. If you deliver me from this moment, then I'll be all in. This is just a statement. We're all in. And of course, it's this great moment of faith saying that God is going to do it. But even if he doesn't, we're all in. I'm sure Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, Abednego, it's always that last one that we differ on. It's not worth a church split over. I'm sure they saw the furnace been stoked up. I'm sure they, you know, in response to their confidence that that King Nebuchadnezzar, whether it was out of like a, a, a wondering whether, you know, that what they claimed to be true was actually going to happen or, or just uh, I'll show you guys and stoke up the furnace. I, I'm sure they saw how hot the furnace was. And, and I wonder, and there's nothing in the, in the, in the actual text to, to tell us anything about this. They came out smelling, uh, not even smelling a smoke and so I suspect maybe they didn't feel any heat. But I, but I wonder as, if, as they got drawn closer to the furnace, they started to at least feel a bit of warmth. I don't know. What I, what I do know is that they saw those who were throwing them in drop dead from the heat of the fire. There was lots of moments for them to back out is what I'm getting at. There's lots of moments 
for them to go, oh, maybe King Nebuchadnezzar, play, play the harp. I'm ready. There's lots of moments for them to perhaps question, is this deliverance ever going to come? But they were already all in, regardless of what was going to happen. But even if he does not, we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you've set up. Will you still trust God? Will you still refuse to bow down to anything or anyone else when you see the flames? Now, I don't know what the flames represent for you in your life, but but when you see the flames of difficulty or struggle or illness or hardship or relationship breakdown or financial crisis, when you see the flames, when you feel the heat, when others perhaps collapse beside you, will you still be all in? Will you still refuse to bow down? Believing for deliverance, yes. Praying for God to bring rescue into your situation. But, but will you be like Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and say, even if God doesn't come through how I want him to, to come through in this thing, in this moment, I'm already all in. Because I've made a choice to hold nothing back. Will you still be all in when you see the flames? Daniel chapter 6. Sorry, I don't have that one for you, but I'll read it from my own Bible. In Daniel chapter 6, verse 10, Daniel himself is having his own version of a fiery furnace moment. Um, This time, not a fiery furnace, uh, but a lion's den. The Babylonians were big on there. If you don't do what we tell you to do, you're going to go into something painful. Fiery furnace or a lion's den. And, and so this time, the, the, the decree was not you have to bow down to our golden statue, but the decree, was, the decree was if we catch you bowing down to anything other than the Babylonians' gods, you get thrown into a lion den. And, and so Daniel, who's also a high official, though, though being Jewish, by being a follower of Yahweh uh, in, in, in Babylon, Daniel hears this decree. He's in a position where he couldn't possibly miss the decree. And so his response is recorded in Daniel chapter 6, verse 10. It says, Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Daniel's response to not the the flames, seeing the flames, but hearing the roar of the lions was to three times a day, publicly in his open window, to bow down and pray towards God. He didn't go to the king, he didn't go to the political courts and try and overturn the decision. He just said, I'm going to be faithful. I'm all in. It says, as he had done before. This was already his practice, but, but he doubled down on it when the decree came saying this could cost you your life. 
will you still be all in for God when you hear the roar of the lions? Whatever the roar of the lions is. Now, for those that know the story, this turns out another miraculous deliverance from God. But I believe that Daniel was going to be the same as Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. He wasn't just thinking, well, I'll, I'll, I'll bow down and pray as long as God delivers me from it because in bowing down and praying publicly, that opportunity had gone. I'm sure his heart was the same, that even if God doesn't deliver me from this moment, I'm all in. Even if he doesn't, no matter what. If we jump forward to the New Testament, in Matthew chapter 11, there's this this little snippet, this little story of John the Baptist wrestling with some questions about Jesus. John the Baptist had been the one who baptized him. He'd been the one who prepared the way for Jesus. He'd been the, the first essentially to say, that is the Son of God, that's the Lamb of God, that's the Messiah. I'm not the Messiah, John the Baptist said. He is the Messiah. But we have this moment where John wrestles with his faith in Jesus. And so in Matthew chapter 11, verse 2 to 3, it says, when John, who was in prison, remember that, prison, it's important, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? So this isn't a bowing down before a 27-meter golden statue moment. This isn't a, 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 an out there publicly music plays, you either bow down or you don't. This is a, a, an internal wrestling for John. Is he the one? Is Jesus the one that I'm going to surrender my entire life to in faith? Or is there someone else? Am I, am I all in here? Or should I wait for someone else? And so he sends off some disciples because he's in prison. Some of his followers he sends off to Jesus to ask him. Jesus replied, Go back and report, pardon me, pardon me. Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Now, it's easy to miss the significance of these words, but, but it's here a clear reference to Isaiah 61. The words that Jesus repeats in Luke chapter 4 about his own calling, and I'm going to read them from Luke chapter 4, because Jesus is clearly referring to these words. I want you to remember that word prison. That's where John is as we read this. Luke chapter 4, verse 18 is where I'm reading from. Uh, Jesus is in the, in the, um, the synagogue. Thanks, Abraham, mental blank. Jesus is in the synagogue. He, he's picked up the scroll. He's found this place to read. And he says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. 
He has sent me to proclaim freedom for prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And so in Luke chapter 4, Jesus has said, I am the one who's come to fulfill this prophecy, to preach good news to the poor. And he says, go and tell John that good news is preached to the poor. Recovery of sight to the blind. He says, go and tell John that the blind are seeing. Go and tell John that other miracles are happening, that people are being set free from their illnesses. Go and tell all of this to John. What's what's the one thing that's missing from Luke chapter 4 or Isaiah 61 that Jesus doesn't say here? What's the one thing from Luke chapter 4 that Jesus says, this is what I've come for that's not said here? Releasing of the oppressed or oppressed or in other words, freedom for prisoners, captives set free. And so John's in prison and Jesus has declared that he's come to fulfill this prophecy and everything is happening except for the thing he needs. Blind are seeing. Captives of illness have been set free. Lepers are cleansed. Spirits are, evil spirits are driven out of people. It's amazing. Everything's happening. But the centerpiece of that was that the captives would be set free and John is in prison. And so he sends his disciples to Jesus and says, are you the one? Or should I wait for someone else? Are you the one or should I wait for someone else? And so Jesus says, Blessed is anyone who doesn't stumble or fall away or give up or it's sometimes translated, take offense because of me. Jesus says, go tell him that all of this is happening. But blessed is the one who doesn't give up when the thing that you're hoping for and praying for when your prayers seem like they're going unanswered. And so I want to ask this morning, what is your prison? What is the thing that would lead you to say, are you the one, Jesus? What's your prison? Not many of us have disciples that we can send off like John did to to Jesus to ask the question. But but what's the thing in your life that you see, well, I see lame walking, I see blind seeing, I see these miracles happening in other people's lives, but I'm in prison and I'm not being set free. What is your prison? What's the thing that would lead you to ask, are you really the one, Jesus? And so Jesus says to us, blessed are we when we hold nothing back, 
when we're all in, when we continue to be faithful, even when it seems like we're the only one that God isn't setting free. Blessed are you when it seems like everyone else's prayers have been answered and you've been crying out to God, you've been believing that Jesus is the one. You want to be all in. But the very thing that you're hoping for, the very prayer that you're crying out to God for, nothing seems to be shifting. Jesus says to us, blessed are we when we hold nothing back, when we're faithful, when we choose not to give up, when we choose to not be offended at Him, when we choose not to blame Him, when we choose not to get tripped up over that thing. He doesn't say, oh, it's fun and easy, get over it. He says, you're blessed when you persevere and you push through in spite of that thing. It's the same heart that Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego had where we believe in faith, where we exponentially increase our expectations of what God can and will do, but we have this heart that says, but even if He doesn't, I'm all in. No matter what. Pray and believe for deliverance in your health. But even if God doesn't heal you, Hold nothing back. Pray and believe for deliverance in your relationships or your, or your marriage, for, for God to restore things that are broken, but, but choose here now this morning that even if He doesn't come through in that place, in the way that you want Him to, in the way that you're hoping, be all in, no matter what. Pray and and believe that God will preserve the religious freedom that we have in our nation to gather and worship and openly declare that Jesus is Lord. But even if He doesn't, even if the culture and the, the laws of our nation shift so far that we do have to fear fiery furnace and lion's dens and and, and modern day versions of those, even if God, for whatever reason, doesn't, Let's us be a people who are all in for Jesus, no matter what. Let's choose to embrace and to have a faith that holds nothing back, that is all in, that refuses to compromise or bow down or do the fingers crossed, I'm not really doing it thing. Let's not have a faith that's anchored in God's momentary action. It's anchored in what God's doing for me right now, but one that's anchored in who He is. The God who at the end of all things, we're told, every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess.
If you've been blessed and encouraged by this message, we'd like for you to become a part of the Ask Baptist family. Log on to ycbc.church to find out more.